komt een dag, ik moet er niet aan denken. Het leven zal je wenken, dan zeg je ons gedag. O schat, er komt een dag, dat ik met je vader samen zal sloffen door de straten. O, als je ons dan eens zag. We komen s'avonds thuis, waar het droevig is en leeg. Dat eenzaam klinkt en koud, zonder jouw blije lach. En jij, jij weet van niks, jij ziet mijn tranen niet. Jouw ogen glanzen blij, jij hunkert en geniet. En ik, ik hou me goed. Ik kleur je dag in goud, zoals een moeder doet, wanneer de dochter trouwt. Ik doe voor het laatst je haar en moet je laten gaan. Het huis uit door de rij van vrienden en van buren. De grote auto in en binnen enkele uren. Geef ik je weg aan iemand van wie je zei, ik wil hem. En als je hem dan neemt, zul je onze naam verliezen. En een andere verkiezen, die ik nu nog niet ken. Ik weet dat op die dag je jeugd is afgelopen. Dan gaat je kooitje open. Naar de tijd dat alles mag Ik weet het wel Die dag zal ik als een klok doen klinken De glazen zullen blinken En iedereen die lacht Maar eenzaam met je vader Ben ik van dan af oud Of het zomer is of winter Wij hebben het altijd koud die vuile dief, die minnaar met talent Die niets heeft hoeven doen om je te maken die je bent De helft van ons geluk steelt die bij ons vandaan En wat nog erger is, de helft van ons bestaan Die vreemde zonder naam of gezicht wat haat ik die vent. Maar toch, als hij voor jou wil zorgen, dan laat ik hem erin, hou mijn verdriet verborgen. Dan speel ik wel de gastvrouw die hem hartelijk onthaalt. Voor het laatst ben ik die dag degene die jij vertrouwde. Wat zal ik van je houden de dag dat hij je houdt? I'm Anastasia with another episode of Student Radio Maastricht on RTV 107.5 FM. Today we're talking feminism with some friends. Uh, in studio today I have with me Zaki. Hey. Sachetan Tech with Helena. What's up? <laughs> Hi. There she is. And I have Cecile Heat with me to Hello. talk more about um what she does with We Care and um just being involved with the with the the more activist aspect of feminism in Maastricht. So um this is coming from the uh happy belated International Women's Day to begin with. That was March eighth and Maastricht organized a march. Um, to demonstrate uh, for women's rights, but not only women's rights, to be representative in terms of inclusivity and the both social and economic fight for um, equality for everyone. So that's what we're coming in with. Uh, and I, I want to have a chat about this because uh, as far as history goes, feminism only has a history of about 100 years, right? Um, big suffrage movements only started happening at the turn of the 20th century. Um, so there's not a lot of time, but a lot of developments in terms of what we think and how we think about things and what we do about them. 
Um, immediately, I think I want to talk about a little bit of history. I think that's okay. Yeah. So um, originally, Women's Day originated from the Socialist Party of America in... 1909, February 28th. So what the Socialist Party of America wanted to do was bring to light the plight of the female worker, right? So we were talking about labor laws, we're talking about um, child labor, um, economic disparity, and what the Social Party did is had a celebration of feminine labor that was adopted by um, the Socialist Women's Conference. It's an international conference, and in 1910, they decided to have a um, a day for it, officially internationally. And then it was only accepted by the second wave feminism movement in 1967. So within that, um, the Interna- uh, Women's Day, International Women's Day, only has a history of, what, 40 years, 50 years maximum. Mm-hmm. So even within those 50 years, we can see such a development in terms of who is marching, who is protesting, who is rioting, and where these things are happening, and what they mean for the cultures within women and gender non-conforming people exist in. Um, so with that, I think it's really important to establish the economic relation to feminism, because of course, you can't even begin to think about social equality until you think about economic equality, until everybody has the ability to make money, to support themselves, to be independent and autonomous, financially, can you think about um, social equality and social justice? And I think that's, I think we kind of lose that generally. I think we kind of lose that when we think about feminism because uh, this is a whole nother discussion, isn't it? But we can talk about the commercialization of feminism and how it's so devoid of that initial, like that history, that socialist history, that history so closely tied to labor, not even feminine labor, but of course, masculine labor, people working under oppressive systems. Comments? Yeah, so when it comes to this, I think we can see, we already saw in Master that there yeah. was the anti-capitalist movement that also joined the march, and that was a big part of the march in Master this weekend, uh, but also in other countries as well, we saw that. Um, and I and also environmentalism, which mm-hmm. is a part of it too, but it, I, I believe anti-capitalism uh, and environmentalism go together. Um, and it does make some sense that it goes also with the feminist movement, and I agree with it. Uh, I am an anti-capitalist myself, so I have no problem. My only issue is that it tends to exclude the part of uh, women that do not identify as anti-capitalist. Um, also all of the right-wing women which are out there too that may want to join us and are maybe scared by us in that sense, uh, because anti-capitalism is still not a widely held view. So that is something that we do need to keep in mind if we want to be inclusive. That is part of the inclusivity that we have to go with, um, especially when you're talking also about intersectionalism yeah. of, of feminism. And we're talking then about including also LGBTQIA. That's very difficult to manage to reconcile all of these ideas together. And we've only begun reconciling them within the past 20 years. Yeah, and I wouldn't years. say we've achieved no, our goals we're yet. Not, I mean, we're, we're nowhere near close <laughs> because, again, we've had um, suffrage. We've had second wave feminism, which was so... Um, powerful in its own way, but so focused on white middle class women and their ability to work to raise a child with no focus on black women, poor women, yeah. women any or trans people or gender nonconforming people. Again, this was a discussion solely about cis white women in the 70s. Yeah. Can I add on yes, that? Yes, of course. Yeah, just to branch off from the thing for mentioning about poor women, about second women, second wave feminism, kind of excluding poor women in that fight. A lot of second wave feminism really focused on women and reaching equality in the workplace, which was kind of a thing because the only women who were really staying at home and who are really like homemakers staying at home and doing taking care of home things while their husbands were at work, that was something that was very much middle to upper class women. Poor women always had to go out and work for things and work, work for things in order to just survive. And so that fight for women in the workplace was really very much an upper class, upper to middle class fight because of that. It didn't really do very much for uh, black communities, for poor communities. So 
Yeah, exactly. That, that's true. But uh, I mean, walking on to that, I'd say that when we're talking about the wage gap, for example, which is something that is highly contested and something that not everybody agrees with, because if you look at statistically, the reasons why we have such high differences in our salaries is because of the kind of jobs that women have and that men have. And that is something that also needs to be addressed in that point when it comes to, for example, um, people of color. They are lo they have lower jobs than white people. That's already been established. And we have also seen that with women. So this is something that feminism is also trying to address, I'd say, at least indirectly. But putting a little bit of focus on that cannot hurt anyone. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. Um, oh, just just uh, for songs today, I did want to highlight um, female and trans artists. So all of the music today is from people like that, uh, because as we'll see in the next song called Jet Fuel Can't Melt Steel Beams by um, Camp Cope. Um, there's a lot of just little experiences that female artists and trans artists can speak about because for a really long time, what did people listen to? Um, I think the furthest, most feministy thing was like girls just want to have fun in like the 80s, right? Because it was so difficult to get to the point of actually having discourse um, about oppressive systems. So you'll see in the song, she's talking about catcalling, she's talking about police violence and uh, police brutality. Enjoy. Jet Fuel Can't Melt Steel Beams by, again, Camp Cope. Uh, I just wanted to backtrack and say that that first song was Corey Brocken, excuse my inability to roll R as my French teacher hated me for this, um, but the song is called Vor mein Doctor. 
So to step, to continue, um, my friends here were having a good little discussion and I kind of want, discussion during the break and I want them to come back and recap it for us because Zachy and Cecile were having a really interesting discussion. Can I, can I do that to you guys? You want to go ahead, Zach? Well, oh, Zachy and Sachin. Sachin, yes. sorry. Yeah, thanks, Cecile. I wanted to respond to what you'd said earlier about, um, about including uh, women who, even, well, the anti-capitalist aspect of feminism. Um, the reason that that's kind of difficult is that so many problems arise directly from capitalism. As we were discussing before the break, the, the wage gap, the disparity in, in wages, is essentially, I mean, the, you could broadly say that the reason that this happens is capitalism. And until we start attacking the, the larger system, we, we, cannot, we cannot address the effects. So, so in, in order to, 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 um, to deal with the, the wage gap, we need to basically look at discrimination in hiring processes. And discrimination in hiring processes is a result of capitalism. So until we, uh, you know, until we assault the larger system, we can't really, we can't really deal, deal with the symptoms. So I'd like to ask you how you'd propose to bring in people who don't believe in anti-capitalism into the wing, because I believe that they should be brought in, but it's difficult, you know. So I very, very much agree with you on pretty much everything that you just said. The only Lovely. thing is by calling ourselves anti-capitalists to start with, we're right. going to create a bubble whereby anyone who is not anti-capitalist is not going to join. We're not going to have any really fruitful discussions. There is no no sense in preaching someone that's already convinced. What is more, in, I, I would say we start by calling ourselves feminism, which is already controversial on its own. That's true. Um, and that's already sufficient to scare away pretty much any men. So that's that's great. That's wonderful. Men, if you want to join us, we're well, we would love to have you included in this discussion. Um, but to go back to our issue, yeah, I think we need to start having the discussion and explaining really to those people that do believe in capitalism and are trying to, con to reconcile their political ideologies with feminism, why is it that this cannot be the case? And that is how we can start to have a discussion. There is actually tomorrow evening a debate by Feminist of Maastricht on anti-capitalism and feminism. So if anyone's interested, it's at six o'clock at the law faculty. You're all welcome to join, of course, if you want to discuss this in more depth. That sounds great. Thanks, Cecile. And I think that's where we'd like to take this take this discussion forward, really. Yeah, because, I mean, this could go on for quite a while. <laughs> that's true. And uh, I'd just like to, for a moment, say that uh, one of the things that has bothered me the most in recent years is left disunity. So I'd hate for, you know, this to get in the way of, well, the cause. Because we've seen so many very recent examples of the freeing of the left leading to basically the rise of the right. And in general, the freeing of causes, uh, when, when, when people who believe something and are you know, rooting for it, they tend not to compromise. And as you said, inclusion is so important and we should never forget that. So thanks for bringing that up, Cecile. Zaki, would you like to add something? Yeah, I just want to uh, just pose a question just for all of us and for our listeners. Um, I think it might be a good idea to, do, to, prevent, to perhaps clarify, clarify on terms between like first wave feminism, second wave feminism, third wave feminism, intersectional feminism, whatever that means. I think it's a good idea just to clarify it, just so that, that we all come from the same understanding at least. Yeah, so first wave feminism is uh, a period of time during largely the progressive era, um, the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th, um, where women were pursuing suffrage um, and the right to vote. Uh, and that evolved into second wave feminis feminism in the mid 20th century, where it was much more focused on um, issues of, of uh, equality and sexual discrimination, um, where women were kind of, they identified their cultural and um, political inequality to the ability to work um, and to their financial presence and to um, them uh, problems with motherhood, expectations of women to be at home. But again, largely, this is based in a white middle class idea of what womanhood is. Um, third wave feminism and intersectionality kind of comes to address these problems, uh, these criticisms of second wave feminism to hopefully have a more comprehensive and inclusive understanding and uh, movement. Yeah, Sachit? I'd like to ask you what you mean by intersectionality. Ooh, Zaki? Okay, so from what I understand, intersectionality is a, term, is a term coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. 
And uh, what it, it seeks to address the intersections of oppression that, per, that, for example, black women have or that trans women have, where they're affected by both transphobia and by sexism, where black women are affected by both racism and sexism. And, sexism. and particularly if you're a poor woman, you're, uh, you're, you're affected by both capitalism as a structure and racism and sexism and all those things. And so it means, so intersectionality is more of a framework to view the struggles of those women. And that's, that's where I think um, having feminism in terms of like community engagement, because uh, Cecilia, you mentioned kind of organizing a feminist group that's largely apolitical. But I, I would, I kind of have issue with that because I think these things are so highly politicized. Like we can talk about um, like the location of identity and, and how that is so political and tied to and, and tied to literally everything. And I, I understand the need for like an inclusive movement, but also I think that is such, I think like it's difficult because I understand it, but also I think it's a disservice to like the discussion at large. Do I don't think I mean? that we need both. Yeah. I think we need medium where certain where women can feel safe to be discussing alone or when women of color can go and discuss about their issues i think that's very very important it is the same thing for the lgbt community you know we also need those spaces for those people to feel safe and relate to one another but at the same time i also believe we need certain forums where we can have a big mix up of everybody and of ideas where we are actually discussing between people that have different opinions so then we can also be i find it more interesting because then you are also challenged in your ideas if you're discussing with people that don't necessarily agree with you, you can have a more fruitful discussion and a real debate. Uh, whereas I found myself sometimes in some feminist discussion with friends that are already convinced by what I'm saying. And then I don't really have any challenge. I don't really question my positions anymore because everybody just agrees with me up until the point where I meet someone that has a different opinion. And there I can start thinking and actually debate and pretty much reconvince myself. Oh, why is it that I'm thinking that way? So I, I think both is necessary. I think it's also, this comes from th- uh, talking about environmentalism for me, but what I think is extremely important is what Anastasia said. Uh, community engagement is where we can realize what Cecile referred to right now, which is, you know, bringing together people who may not necessarily believe the same things. And when you start engaging people as communities rather than as political factions, then first of all, you achieve grassroots change and development, which is where all movements must begin for any effective change. And uh, the second thing that happens is that you bring, in toge- bring together people with differing views. And so everybody kind of clarifies what they think about. And in an ideal world, what would emerge is a discourse that is relevant to the local, local context. And I think at, at least the, this is the way it works for environmentalism, which is that this is the most effective way to deal with the problems. And I would assume that uh, it works similarly for feminism. What does the rest of the table think? Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I. I don't know. Please, someone speak. <laughs> I think that that is that is true in the sense that we we will necessarily focus on what is locally our concern. You know, when right. I when whenever I bring up something feminist, uh, it, it, I'm very often told, "Oh yeah, but this is a minor problem." If you look at you know the conditions of women in third world countries, for example, yeah. you know how can you go and talk about this issue, but then you're completely ignoring the rest and blah blah blah. And I'm like, yeah, that is very very true. However, the people that are here, the people that I'm trying to convince are concerned with those issues, not the other ones. I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about it. That is not correct. I'm not saying those are not a problem. I'm just saying that what I am concerned with, what it is that I see on a daily basis in a so-called, you know, modernized world, we still have issues. So we should also be addressing this. So yeah, I think context is very, very relevant and locality also is. Yeah, Cecile, I think there's a problem here because I agree with everything you say again and so I have nothing to contribute. So let's just play a song. Anastasia, what's next on the list? Latifah's Law by Queen Latifah. Sounds super interesting. i 
You're behind the Queen Lassie for Divine. with Latifah's Law. Welcome back to Student Radio Maastricht, 107.5 FM, RTV. Uh, Back to the discussion at hand, I really kind of wanted to bring up the commodification of feminism and the commercialization of it um, because we can talk about all the, like, the cute Forever 21, like, slogans, uh, all the money that goes into sponsoring um, women's marches, for example, um, what does that mean for us in the present, but also what does that mean for um, marches and activism like this globally, right? Because, of course, the women's march we had in Maastricht, it's not the women's march they're having in Iran, right? Yeah, yeah, that is very true. But when you're talking about commercialization, you mean in the sense of advertisement and stuff? Yeah, I mean, like, kind of the adaption of of what, like... Into a trend. Into a trend, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because when it comes to like, for example, you you gave the example of Forever Twenty One, which I'm not even gonna get started <laughs> on the name. Um, but yeah, when it comes to these things, I feel like they're both a, a problem. At the same time, they are kind of putting some light into some issues that perhaps uh, you know some a reach that we could not have gotten without it. So maybe there is some good into it. Although I wish we didn't have to go through those ways. Um, there is still something good about it. But the other thing about commercialization is also the use of famous people in order to be representing the movement. And there we have to be very careful with whom are we picking and which brands are we picking as well. Um, I'm thinking about, for example, if we go back to the Women's March in France, this uh, in, in Paris this weekend, there was uh, Adèle Haenel and uh, Céline Sciamma, which are both very, very famous actresses and producers, directors in France. Um, and they went anonymously and did not want any interviews and tried to hide themselves from the cameras as much as possible, um, which I I think in those cases could have actually been helpful from them. I'm not going to go and criticize them far from me to uh, ever think, I mean, you know, I'm not in their shoes. I don't know how it is. Um, but I feel like there are many women, famous women that are doing also a great job. And I believe we should be using their public image to bring the cause higher. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, actually. Um, I think for me, the issue is when companies do do like these slogans or they have all these people coming in and, you know, 
they ha- like it's like for one month of the year they use these slogans and they use all these names but at the same time if you look at their board it's still all men and they're just using the slogan to say that oh yes we are pro-feminism but they're not doing anything substantive for women's rights movements at yeah. all kind of like the Gillette advertisement exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah or y- <laughs> Gillette oh goodness I was gonna I was gonna bring up because it's really ironic like Kellogg's will have like fun um, like Pride Month slogans and stuff but the guy who invented Kellogg's cereal literally was the guy who invented like conversion therapy oh yeah and he was also like very much like anti-masturbation he was oh, very sex negative it was it was very weird but he made good cereal I guess reading through uh, reading through Kellogg's uh, Wikipedia page is one hell of a trip it's a ride it's an absolute ride but getting back to what we were talking about I really like what was said uh, because I believe that capitalism will always co-opt a movement and use it for its own means and in this and, and in this situation what happens is that well brands pick up feminism and sell you shit with it or they sell themselves they sell the brands as Zaki said the brand will pretend to be feminist or pro-women or whatever have you and they wouldn't actually do anything significant to make to make the difference they would do something that i would call performative something that you can see you know on the storefront but nothing that actually does anything of significance and i think this is deeply harmful because we live in a well in a capitalistic society we work for private corporations so they have a huge impact upon our lives upon the lives of people around us and when when these large institutions do not believe do not implement the things that we believe then we then then we cannot hope to have you know liberation or or whatever the goals you whatever goals you might have in mind so that that's that's and the worst thing with capitalism is that most people who for good reasons wouldn't care to dig would believe that these brands are actually work are working on in their favor so they're living a lie and i find that deeply unsettling yeah we have that problem in fashion as well where certain feminist slogans are just thrown onto fast fashion clothes which right. in the end are being produced by women being completely underpaid if um if i may then that is exactly and you feel like by buying this you're actually helping the cause you're trying to distribute and spread the world around but right. the consequences of your actions are also quite dramatic and are not necessarily considered exactly yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think another like there was a similar situation at the Oscars this year where Natalie Portman um, she wore a gown uh, that had a cape where it was embroidered the name of every female director who was snubbed at the Oscars. Um, hmm. The thing is, the only female director she has worked with was herself, and so it's like, what is it <laughs> saying when you know you're you're bringing up all these names of female directors who you could have worked with but you have not worked with none of them? You're just like saying, oh, this is a problem, but you're not doing anything to fix the pro- to fix the problem at all at the same time when you look into the cinema industry women get a lot less money for their projects well it's also important to notice that there is actually a majority of women in uh, film in the film uh, schools but when they come out they get a lot less money for their movies they're a lot less likely to be hired this is all once again we go into the whole wage gap issue yeah so I mean I don't really blame her for not necessarily working with uh, female directors because there is a high chance she wouldn't be quite as famous as she is if she would have so that's also a career choice you have to make at some point i suppose but that's also a situation established by the fact that who are accredited director that was mumbling who are the accredited directors in this industry men and they're put there by their peers um and they're there because they have the the industry wealth the fine like the economic wealth and like the social wealth to establish themselves for that So, I don't know, it's really tricky because like I so I was watching the new Taylor Swift music video. Um it's called like if I it's like Mad Men or like if I was a man or something and she sings about how difficult it is being Taylor Swift with like male producers around because this is coming this is her coming out um after her whole scenario with um her her label uh withholding her music and stuff like that. But the music video is just so it's so poor taste it's so it's it feels like it's feminism from like 2004 that i would see in h&m it's so entry level complicit feminism just feministy enough appeal to like 16 year olds but it doesn't go any further than that to actually critically analyze the systems that not only um oppress taylor swift as a woman but also encourage her as 
a very inf- a very affluent musician. Yeah, I don't know. I think of Taylor Swift as very much the height of white feminism. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Um, But with that, I want to transition to a song. Um, It's called Paralytic States by Against Me. states by against me um so in the uh, little break we were kind of chatting about where to go next because of course we have a lot of things to talk about that we want to talk about which are important but we don't have a lot of time but just to begin with i'd like to sort of disagree with zaki's example from before the break zaki could you quickly summarize the, the uh, example? what example the natalie portman one ah uh, yeah that one ah, yes yes so yes natalie portman at the 2020 oscar she wore a cape uh that was embroidered by the names of all the female directors who were snubbed for the oscars this That's year right. with, well at the same time um her production company that she owns has she is the only female director that her production company has worked with yeah exactly um i'm I, I kind of don't think that that's a bad thing because Natalie Portman as, is somebody working in an industry and anybody working, anybody in a career like Cecilia said would, would make choices that further their career. You cannot blame them for that. So don't blame the person, blame the system. If Natalie Portman has not worked with any of the, any of the directors on her dress, I wouldn't actually blame her because people, because she's just reflecting how people in general behave. And Natalie Portman might might change the way she behaves now because she got called out for her, but that doesn't change how everybody else behaves. And for that, you need to incentivize working with everybody. Mm-hmm. So I would rather, I would attack the system again. No, I agree. I completely agree. But I think it's just an example of the, how the system affects all of us really more than anything exactly. else. Exactly. It's, it's another example, for sure. Cecile, you uh, wanted to speak about labor? Yeah, well, I wanted to speak about labor in the yeah. sense of double labor. Yes. So we're talking about double work days. We're talking about the mental load of women to be taking care of both having a job and therefore bring income into the house, but also take care of a house, the whole housework problem. Um, I mean, statistically speaking, it's been shown that if you are in a heterosexual relationship and you move in with your boyfriend or partner, you will have much more housework than you had before. So there isn't, I mean, 
I'm heterosexual and being heterosexual and feminist is complicated to reconcile at some points. I, I really find that difficult. Yeah, yeah, I know it is funny. But trust me, um, in application, you do encounter some issues. And I think that it has to be from the fact that, first of all, housework was never considered to be uh, of value, not in the sense that we look down upon it or anything like that, but more that it doesn't bring you any income. It, and then we go back to the whole, you know, anti-capitalist issue as well. Perhaps if we started to have to put a value on the on your housework, we would um, spend more time on it and actually focus on it a little bit more. Because people don't necessarily think, you know, when I talk with my male friends, they often tell me, oh, yeah, but I do my stuff. I clean and I cook and I blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but once you are with your girlfriend, who is the one that tells you, oh, we should maybe go and buy toilet paper because we've run out? And then you'll say, yeah, of course, at that point I will go. Yeah, but she had to tell you. That's a bad start already. If your partner has to be telling you, hey, you need to go and clean the dishes or you need to, because she is thinking about it and she's probably going to do it herself already. But the fact that you have to be the one who is in charge of that house, and that already starts, I think, from the moment that you are pregnant. The fact that we have pregnancy leaves where a woman ends up alone taking care of her baby at home. At that point, she's also the one who's going to know, how do I feed the baby? How do I change the baby? How do I buy clothes for the baby? Uh, why is it crying? Or he or she. I'm sorry, I tend to refer to baby as it's, which is <laughs> problematic, I've heard. <laughs> And I want to I wanna bounce off this, excuse me, Cecile. Sure. Um, but um, when, uh, at the turn of the 20th century and for most of the 20th century, equality was kind of thought of and re- like inequality was kind of quote unquote resolved through separate but equal spheres of living. So we have the traditionally feminine sphere of living, which is quote unquote equal to the traditional masculine role of living, right? But they are two very different things with two very different consequences in, in practice. Um, like we can understand those expectations, but the real challenge is like how do we address them practically? Um, because even within feminism we have there's so many fractures as with anything else. Like we can talk about how um, exclusive uh, radical feminism can be of, of trans women, of trans people in general, um, things like that. Yeah, well, I think the the whole now you're touching upon a whole yeah, different yeah, issue yeah. with the with the issue of the trans com- and the LGBT community mm-hmm. within feminism, and that is something that truly needs to be addressed because it's been um, underlooked for so long already, and it's I think it's very difficult because a lot of feminists do not really know what transgender means or what even LGBT means, so it is difficult for you know white feminists, white heterosexual feminists to kind of get involved into this fight as well. Um, however, there are women who go through very different issues from us. So that is something that needs to be considered. Their social economic issues, their cultural issues are quite different from what we encounter. And it is about time that we give them a voice also in this fight. Unfortunately, we don't have any here. But um, within Masthead, we also have Dionics who is taking care of that. Uh, and I wish we were into a little bit more conversations with them because mm-hmm. they have some very interesting points to put out. Um, then again, we have just being, for example, bisexual or lesbian within feminism is already something that's not really looked upon that much. Uh, when we're talking about female sexuality, we tend to kind of ignore that side of the whole female sexuality. The fact that lesbians uh, have pretty much figured how to make a female orgasm where men are still working on it. Um, but you can all learn from each other. Maybe if we include them in the conversation, we'll all have more fun. <laughs> I don't know. I, I find that hilarious because, like, and to quote, a, I there's a Tumblr post that says, like, it's just, it's just like there, it takes this so and so amount of muscles to say to fake an orgasm, whereas it takes this, ma- this so many fewer muscles to say it's called a clitoris and it's right there. <laughs> it's like, no. But I think this also comes a lot from male entitlement. You know, a lot of men think a lot of men think of their orgasm as being the endpoint of sex, whereas like the, the female's pleasure is really just put to the side, which is such such an issue. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe in that as well. But I also believe that when you talk with women, um, a lot of them don't really know their sexuality either. They don't really, they're not really able to tell you what it is that they like, uh, what, how do they reach. A lot of them do not ever reach orgasms on their own. And then you have the whole issue of communication. We have to start to talk about female masturbation. We have to stop portraying the woman as putting fingers into herself when she masturbates. That is not a thing. They don't do that. We don't do that. <laughs> it's it's really you know I've had girls yeah. coming up to me and asking me is it a problem that I I'm touching myself outside like still dressed and I'm like no that's normal don't worry yeah. you're gonna be okay but it, it's this understanding of like expectations of gender right because 
the expectation is that we understand what female sexuality is through porn, which of course is largely created for someone who's not female. I'd like to interrupt and say it's not just through porn, it's through any sort of imagery, really. No, very true. Yeah. yeah. Movies, songs. Movies, ads. Advertisements, yeah, for sure, and, yeah. And like uh, literary Burger depictions King of ads. women or, or people or yeah. sexuality. Everything is catered towards the male gaze. And because it's, it was written by men, everything is done by men. Yeah. So this is what you'd expect. It's done by men and it's marketed towards men. That's problematic because nowadays women are looking for their sexuality and they are also going to watch porn. And then the problem is that they're not learning the ways to achieve orgasm through porn because it's not made for them on any level. I mean, let's be clear. Porn is not educational for any gender. Thank God. Yeah. But, but still, there is... That it's is misleading at the very best. But the problem is that then we're creating those taboos where women are legit very, very ashamed of their sexuality because it is so far from what's been shown to them that far that they very start true. to really question themselves. Am I normal? Can I discuss this with my partner? Is very this true. okay? That's, 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 yeah, representation is, as for the exact reasons that you described, representation is extremely important. Yeah, because it's, uh, I mean, society tells us it's not okay to be anything but a woman, but a man and act like that's how like in that binary understanding of what those two things are. And that's difficult because we can only start to break free of those once we address these big boy systematic, like big kid problems. Very true. And it's it's not easy. It's in fact quite difficult, I would say. Yeah, and going back to the LGBT community, I think we could learn a lot from them when it comes to those issues because these are questions they've asked themselves for quite a while already. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to trans women, for example, I've had some of them that showed up and told me, you know, I don't know what to do when I go on a date with a man. Am I supposed to already tell him that I'm transgender? And I'm like, well, I would hope not. And they're like, yeah, but very often when I'm accused of cheating, of pretending to be someone else. Mm. And I find that so very sad. I just... It's we have to do a whole a very very big work on a social level, and we have to do better, and we are doing better, and every step we take forward is a step to do better, and those things are so important to rem to remind ourselves of every day, constantly, be thinking be things. Um, I am going to wrap up now. Thank you guys so much for this discussion. Um, but again, so uh, cultural agenda, um, we have a student radio anarchia bar night um, coming up. And then we have an event on the 20th, Mutiny in Space. Oh, by the way, the, the bar night is on Saturday, so please join us there. Uh, Faso's Faculty Drinks is on the 19th. Spike Lee is apparently showing in a movie on the 16th also. Um, so Faso's, I guess, has uh, discounted tickets to that, perhaps. So go to Sofaso's. Um, but thank you, guys. Thank you guys so much. Um, I had a good discussion. And we are going to be closing out with uh, Light Pollution by Rat Boys. Um, Enjoy, have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.
is Say So by Doja Cat. Titties. Titties. 